Okay, we're all here, I think. Now, I want you to uh, maybe join me in thinking about this situation. You may have been in this situation yourself. You may even be in it now, I don't know. Or you will have come across it in fiction or films or maybe perhaps almost certainly uh, in your own family or extended family or circle of friends. Here's the situation. It's about a marriage or a long-term relationship, a covenant relationship that's got itself into real trouble. You know, there's been a bit of drifting as sometimes happens and then and one of the partners, in this case, the woman, starts having affairs and it's more than one. And uh, one thing leads to another, and there's a separation, a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty. Um, The relationship is almost ended, and there's a separation that happens. And then there's this possibility of starting afresh, beginning again, and the couple get back together. Maybe the, the, the wife or the woman comes back to the home again. It's difficult. It's precarious. Everyone's walking on eggshells. It's painful, but it's worth it because maybe because of the children, maybe because of the future, maybe because of the past, maybe because of the possibilities, or maybe just because it's just right. But it's so, so difficult. The man welcomes her back. They're in the same house, but it's so painful. Because she's not really back in her heart. They're in the same space, but they're not really together again. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've known that yourself or in your friends or family. Well, do you know, that is the backstory to the prophet's message of Zechariah and Haggai and other prophets in the Old Testament that are bringing God's word to God's people at that time. And the couple concerned are actually the Lord God and his people, Israel. They're the couple. And Israel is the wife who's been unfaithful to her loyal, loving husband. And there's been affairs, spiritual affairs, and there's been separation. We call it exile in the Bible. The whole nation for 70 years have been kind of carted away to Babylon. But now they've come back together again, like that couple I told you about. They're in the same house. They're back in the land again. And we've been thinking about how they came back. And you remember, they came back and it all started really well. It seemed like it was right. The circumstances were so good. Uh, Even the government got them back. But there were real problems. And Israel uh, is once again breaking the Lord's heart. And that's the message that Zechariah and Haggai bring to God's people. She's back in the home, so to speak. But there's very little real love being shown. The temple they were supposed to build got stopped. Been going, it got stopped for 15 years. The, the, the Israel as the wife has become distant and cold. 
And the Lord speaks. He speaks through Zechariah. We read about it in chapter 1. And his main message at this time through Zechariah, through Haggai, uh, and in similar phases around this time of Israel's history, through Malachi uh, and other prophets, he says this constant message is, return to me, come back to me, says God. Come back in your heart to me. It's not just enough that we're sharing the same land or as it were like a couple in the same house. I want you back to me. In, in close, passionate, real relationship again. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. I want us to be married again, says the Lord, to his people properly. Now, is this just history? It's what happened. It's what the message is. But, you know, our salvation as believers, our relationship with God, if we're not yet believers, what God offers out to us in the good news It's a relationship with God. It is a bit like a marriage. And the Bible uses that image. All of us, even if you're you're not familiar with the Christian faith, you've probably been to a wedding where you've heard in the wedding service in a church like this, the vicar says, um, talks about the wedding at Cana of Galilee where Jesus was. And it talks about marriage being a symbol of the love between Christ and his church, like a bride. Everyone's heard that. It's a common image of what it means to be a believer. It's to be like married, like a wife to Jesus, like a husband. That's what it says. And if you read the book of Revelation, where the whole thing is going, everything ends up with a massive kind of wedding in, in the new age, in Revelation. Jesus told stories of that time when it were all about a wedding feast. And do you remember after the resurrection? Do you remember what Jesus says to Peter, the disciple on the beach? He says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you remember Jesus' call to his followers? What was it? He says, I want you to put me first. I want you to put put me before family and loyalties and everything else. our, Our relationship with God... Not just in the Old Testament people of God, but for us too, is like a, a covenant marriage type relationship. So here's the question. Where am I? Where are you as a believer married to Christ? Where are you in that relationship? Do we love him? Really? Or are we perhaps separated? Maybe we're kind of technically married to Jesus. Technically we're believers, but actually... We're kind of like a couple living separate lives. Or maybe we're together, but there's just no passion. Or maybe, which as I believe, sadly, much of the Western churches, we're in exile, but we just don't realize it. Because we've turned from God and we've trusted other stuff like materialism and political power and all the other kinds of things. And we have no idea what's going to hit us uh, around the corner because of our rebellion against God as the Western church. Well, however we are, wherever we are, the message of God to Zechariah, to us, is the same. Return to me, says the Lord. Come back to me in your heart. Love me again, and I will return to you. So the question to me, to you, is are we going to do that? You see, the Israelites in Zechariah's time weren't sure. They'd come back to the land... But I think that there's a kind of uncertainty about whether they really wanted to get right back to God in their hearts. 
And Zechariah and Haggai bring that message to them to, to help them to see that, look, you know, you're there, but, you know, you're, you're holding back. There's something about your heart that, that is just holding back from the, the Lord who loves you. Their response was to get on with the temple. God had asked them to build the temple, and uh, eventually they do that because they respond to Zechariah's message and Haggai's message, as we know. And the message that we, we were looking at this, this, this afternoon, and we have been the last few weeks, is the message that Haggai and Zechariah brought to the people to which they responded and started getting back with God again. So they had to build a temple. We don't have to build a temple. This has got nothing to do with building anything anywhere near here in Portswood. <laughs> we don't build a temple in response. For them, it was a symbol of God's presence with them. God's saying, I want to be with you, so build me this temple because it's a symbol of how I want to be in your lives. And God says to us, I want to be in your lives. I want to be part of you. I want you to be connected to me. I want to live for you, you to live for me so that I can live through you. He wants that for them. He wants it for us. Now, in the first eight chapters of Zechariah, these messages are coming from the Lord to his people at this time. And we're in a section, chapters 1 to 8, that's actually one message, and it's made up of eight separate visions. And we had a look at four of them last time, and we're going to have a very quick look at some of them uh, this time, and then next time we'll move on to the next part. If you were here, you may remember something about those previous pictures. Unfortunately, it wasn't recorded, so if you weren't here, just listen up carefully, you'll get it. The first two pictures that Zechariah has uh, and the visions he has have got this one message. And the one message is that the Lord has been working in the events. You see, it was the events of the political uh, kind of powers all around and the world all around them that got them back into Palestine again. And, and it looked to them possibly as if well, it was just events. And Zechariah says, no, no, no. The Lord is saying it wasn't just events. It was the Lord working, showing how passionately he loves you. And these events weren't just events, but God was working in these events for good. Because he feels jealous for them. He loves them so much that he, he, he work, he's working in these events. That's what the first two pictures are about. The third picture, you, if you were here, remember there was a man with a measuring line, you know, goes off to Jerusalem to measure it all up and see what the size was. Uh, and that, that third picture was all about God's plans for his people. Uh, and, you know, you, they may have been thinking, well, if we come back to God, well, what, what are his plans for us? What's going to happen next? You know, what, what does he want? What happens? And, and, and Zechariah, through this picture, is saying, God's saying he's got these great plans. He wants to bless you. He wants to be with you. He wants to, you, you to be a city that is kind of surrounded by his presence. He wants to, to know you in a new way. And he wants the whole world to be blessed through you. That's the plans that God has for them. And then the fourth picture, and in many ways the most powerful, do you remember that one? The fourth picture was about how the past can be cleansed. Do you remember Zechariah sees a picture, uh, a vision of the high priest Joshua, he was called. And he's standing kind of uh, in a, like a courtroom and he's covered in these filthy, disgusting, horrible, dirty clothes. And there's somebody standing there like a lawyer in the court accusing him. Uh, and then God steps in and says, I'm, don't accuse him. He looks like that because he's just been rescued from a city that's on fire and that's been burning. Uh, and I've, I've actually rescued him and I'm going to take off those filthy old clothes and put new garments on him. That's the picture there. Do you remember that one? It's an amazing picture. 
And it's saying the picture that God is saying to them, you, you can come back to me. You can, you can embrace me with all your heart because the past is dealt with. You can have a new, fresh start. No matter where you've been, all the marks of the old way the, you know, are gone, he said. You can have a fresh start. That's the fourth picture. And Israel, like this uncertain wife in my story, maybe for us too, has been thinking maybe, where do I stand with the events, with the plans, with the past? And the message from the Lord is, return to me. These things won't stop you because my love is greater than that. And then Zechariah has another four visions. It's quite a night for Zechariah. Goodness knows what he had for supper before he went to bed. But anyway, he has another four visions and they they come in the next uh, few chapters, chapter four and onwards. And we're not going to go into any kind of detail because there isn't time. But I want to pick up on some of the big ideas. Remember the backstory? The backstory of this reluctant wife. You know, is it going to work? Can I come back? Can I really commit to the husband who wants me back again? That's the backstory. And Zechariah is giving this message to say, yeah, you can. It's all right. Come back to the Lord again. So it's chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read a few verses from chapter 4. That's on page 952, if you've got the version I've got, which I think you might have if you're using one from here. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me. As a man is awakened from his sleep, he asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is, the, is the, the political leader at the time. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line or the capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you, know not, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are, anoint, are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Interesting vision. What on earth is he seeing? Well, he sees the kind of lampstand and the kind of lamps that were in the tabernacle, the previous temple, and then the temple in Jerusalem. So he's obviously seeing a completed temple, and that was an interesting encouragement for starters, because they hadn't yet completed it. 
Uh, it seems to be a bowl lamp. It's like if you imagine a, a, a big bowl, perhaps a bit like that one at the back there, actually. If you turn around and look at that, see that? It's a big bowl at the back. Imagine that was solid gold, and that into it, around the edges, were, were seven kind of little, like, spouts all around it, where uh, wicks could go, so there'd be lots of oil in the bottom, would come up the wicks, and, and all around the seven lights would be lit. Um, that's the kind of picture. It's not like the menorah, you know, the seven candlestick uh, image of Judaism today, but probably more like that. And if you're interested, they dug up something a bit like that in a place called Dan, but that's another story. So anyway, so it's, it's something a bit like that, but except beside it, there are these two olive trees. Where am I? Sorry. Yeah. Either side, there's an olive tree, and, and later we are going to discover that a branch from each uh, of the trees has a kind of pipe attached to it, providing oil for the lamp. Now, the lamp is burning on olive oil, so it's a picture of, of oil almost coming straight from the tree into the reservoir of the lamp, which is then burning and continually burning. So, the uh, Zechariah says, what's that? And the angel kind of teases him. A bit frustrating, isn't it? Don't you know? It's almost like, well, you know, call yourself a prophet, <laughs> Zechariah. You don't even know what that is. And he doesn't actually answer the question. But he does say, I won't tell you what it is, but I will tell you what it means. And that's where we get to, uh, where we get to in verse uh, 6. What does it mean? It means that the Lord will give power by his spirit to this man Zerubbabel, the ruler, the king. Now we've heard of him before in Haggai and Zechariah and uh, Ezra. Remember what happened last vision? The very last vision was a picture of what? A priest, a filthy priest who gets cleaned up and is able to function. Now we have a picture of a powerless ruler who is given the power from God to be able to rule properly. But the point is that the Lord will do it. He will work through Zerubbabel. And the Lord said there are two things in the way of this job getting done. The first thing he says is a mountain. That could just literally mean a great pile of rubble that was in the way of building the temple. Or it could be a a, a picture of the nations around. There are mountains all around uh, Jerusalem. And sometimes in the Old Testament, the the mountains around Jerusalem were seen to be like the great political powers all around. And the, the people of Israel felt very vulnerable at this time. So it could be that. But whatever it is, God is saying... I can move it. It's not going to hold up. A mountain's not going to stop it. What's the other thing that could stop it? Notice that in the passage? Moaning. (laughs) Moaning. People who say, oh, this is too small. This temple's rubbish. It's no good. Remember, we've had all that before that came out in Ezra and so on. Whatever's in the way, God says, the Spirit of the Lord will do it. And how is the Spirit of the Lord going to do it? He's going to do it through these two leaders, Joshua and Zerubbabel. Because actually the, 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 the word is about these two trees, it says God, are, are like two people who stand before God and are anointed by him. That's the message. So here's the big question. Can I come back to the Lord, you may be thinking? Is it possible to start again with God? If I commit to really love God, when then where's the power going to come from? God says, the power comes from me, from my spirit. 
That's what this message is about. God will give the power to shine. God will give the power to build. God will give the power to love. God will give the power to persevere. We are powerless like Zerubbabel, just as we were filthy like Joshua. Good, says the Lord. (laughs) I'm glad you're powerless. We're weak. Excellent, says the Lord. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not by strength and it's not by power. But it's by my Holy Spirit, says the Lord. So that's the message. The Lord will do it. We can come back to God because he gives us the power again to love and to walk with him by his spirit. And then chapter 5, we have two more visions. Again, these are about sin, actually, the kind of stuff that gets in the way. I'm not going to read them. You can read them. I'm just going to give a couple of pointers. They're a bit wild uh, in, in what they kind of the pictures and you kind of need to you know, be in the culture, I think, to really understand them. But at the very least, we can see that they're about sin. He has a vision of a huge, great scroll, like the law was written on. And this scroll kind of unfurls, and it's about the size of a massive, great big banner. And it's all open. It goes across the land of Israel. And through that, um, the the, the sin of uh, disobeying God is, is kind of banished. You'll see the word banished in that vision twice. God is saying through Zechariah, the stuff that's wrong can be dealt with by a word that's powerful and that changes the situation. And then there's another picture, which is, again, even more kind of weird, really. Um, And it's a picture of how the Lord deals with the sin that took them to Babylon. And uh, Zechariah sees a great big basket. It's not like a shopping basket, but more like a a basket that you put a lot of, a measure of of, of flour, a big, you know, bushel of flour in it or a big, big, big amount. And in the basket, there's a woman uh, under a lead lid. I I told you it was a bit odd. Uh, And this woman in this basket gets taken away back to Babylon. And again, and and the woman is described as as the wickedness of Israel. And it seems that the message, again, is simply God is saying, look, if you're concerned that the wickedness that took you to Babylon is going to kind of come again and and destroy our relationship again, don't be worried about that because it's dealt with it. It's gone away. It's gone right back to Babylon where it came from. What does God say to us? As far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove my, your iniquity from me. So that's the promise there in those two pictures. And then in chapter 6, there's another vision about chariots and horses. And again, I'm not going to go into this either. You can read it yourself. But again, the message is very like the message of the very first vision, that God is ruling over the circumstances. You can imagine how Israel felt. We, we got taken into captivity. We were at the mercy of these, these vast empires that were kind of, kind of jostling against each other. And we were little Israel in the middle of them. And, and we got carted off to, to Babylon because of that. How do we know it's not going to happen again and again the the message of this picture of of these great chariots and horses go out from the presence of God in the four directions of of the compass the message is look you're not at the mercy of circumstances God is the Lord over everything that's the message uh, I think anyway and the the commentator I I read (laughs) uh, of that as well so that's where these pictures if you're interested in these kind of things we have eight visions And uh, they seem to work in pairs. It's what's called a chiasm. 
if you're interested in this kind of thing. So vision one goes with vision eight, vision two goes with vision seven, uh, vision three goes with vision six, and vision four and five, which is the one about Joshua and Zerubbabel, kind of fit right in the middle. And the writer is saying, this is the most important part, the bit that's in the middle. That's just uh, for those of you who like this kind of thing. Let's get back to practicalities. So there's a reason to get back to loving the Lord, to return to him. That's the point. Let's get back to this, you know, picture this story uh, of, of a couple and the woman who's back. With, and that, you know, is, can I give myself back into it? You know, it's so painful. It's so difficult. And, and, and the Lord, her husband is saying, return to me, return to me. And the, the message is saying, you can because God will give you the power to do so. There is power from God to move on with him. And to move, move on with him into more than simply just kind of sharing the family home. Back to a shared life with the Lord that Israel once loved so much. Back to a shared passion. And maybe for some of us, we need to realize that God gives us the power to come back to him. To really love him in the way that he deserves. Let's give him our hearts and our lives. But there is another reason to return to the Lord. To give him his rightful place as our Lord, as our husband, so to speak. Not to be like the cold wife, just sharing the house, and that's all. And we read it in chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. Have a look at that before we finish. The word of the Lord came to me. Take silver and gold from the exiles... There's a list of names, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Heldai, Tobijah and Jediah and Hen, son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. So here's another little kind of bit of Zechariah's message from God, but now it's to Joshua the high priest again. He's given this word in verse 12 and verse 13. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Here is the man whose name is the branch. He will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and there will be a priest on his throne. And the, 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 it's, it's at one level, it's an assurance to the people that the job can get done because Joshua will lead them forward as the high priest to get that done. But there's more here, isn't there, than just about Joshua. You know, Joshua is another name for who? Jesus, yeah. If Jesus was uh, around, he'd be called Jeshua, Joshua, in the kind of Hebrew kind of idiom. And I think that... Uh, it works in the sense that the people at the time are saying, yeah, there'll, there'll be a, a priest who will rule and will get the temple built. But God is talking on, uh, 
into the future about a priest that's going to be crowned with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And this crown that was given to Joshua as a kind of symbol, is not Joshua doesn't keep it. Did you notice? It's given back to the people who gave the, the kind of gold and silver in the first place. And then they put it in the temple. It's not for Joshua. It's a kind of reminder, perhaps, that another priest king will come one day. Someone who's called the branch. Someone who, who, who will just do God's will. Someone who will bring God's kingdom. And you know, we have a priest who is crowned. Jesus, our king. He's called the Messiah. Do you know what Messiah means? It means anointed. It means oil <laughs> has come. And, and there's lots of reminders in this passage of the one who's going to come. And the people have power to start again because of the king priest God gave them. And, and Zechariah says the scope is very wide. People from all over will come and be part of it. And for us, we can come back to God, not because of Joshua, this one, but because of our king priest. Because Jesus has died. Because Jesus is king. Because he's the one, uh, as, as the New Testament says, who, who prays for us and brings our needs to God. And who is the only mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, as the New Testament tells us. And verse 15, this is where his message finishes. Look at the second half of verse 15. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. See, go back to the backstory. Zechariah finishes this section, these eight visions, these eight pictures, these eight kind of reasons for why God's people can, can be reunited in glorious love with him again, not just like a cold, you know, coexistence side by side type of thing. He's given these amazing reasons why we can, can do that and why can, we can be secure in that. But he's not just talking about feelings of love, is he? It's a commitment in actions. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your gods, he says. Now we sometimes think, don't we, quite wrongly, but we sometimes think that anything that involves effort in the Christian life must somehow be bad, don't we? Because we have this idea that we're in grace. You know, God has given us everything, so we don't have to do anything. Here's a quote from Dallas Willard. He says this, Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. See the difference? We don't do anything to earn our salvation. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn the relationship with God. We receive God's gift as a gift. All we have to do is receive it and thank him for it. But, Having received it, we respond in, in, in all kinds of things that we do. Prayer, obedience, giving, discipleship, meeting together. And, and it's not that we sit back and do nothing. And if anyone says, look, could you, know, could you help with this? Or how about following Jesus in, in your giving? Or, or in praying together? Or being part of a small group? Or, or, or coming to church as often as you can on a Sunday to be with God's people? And we say, kind of think, oh no, I, I'm in grace. I don't have to do any of those kind of things. 
hey, we're married, aren't we? Some of us, or some of us will be, some of us hope to be. We've observed marriages, those of us who aren't married, or, or whatever. But let's take that analogy. You don't kind of ignore your spouse, do you? What kind of a marriage is it if you ignore your spouse, or if you, you avoid doing anything that will build up the marriage, or you always disregard what, what they want you to do? Because you say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because our marriage is based on love. It's not based on doing stuff. We don't do that, do we? And it's the same with the Christian life. Prayer, our life together in church, our giving, our discipleship, our holiness, all follow out of our love for Jesus. Like that woman in Luke 7. We've been forgiven much, so we love much. And that woman in Luke 7, you know, the woman with the ointment, gave this massively over-the-top, expensive jar of ointment. The disciples said, look at that, what a waste. Jesus said she was forgiven much, she loved much, so she gave much. So Zechariah's message to us is this. Return to the Lord. Come back. And let me ask you, ask myself, where are you with your love for Jesus? Do you love him, really? How is the relationship? Where are you? But remember, he gives us the power to come back to him. The power to live with him and for him again. Because of the priest, because of the king, because of Jesus. Let's love him passionately more than anything else for his glory. Amen.